The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today it's time for our Friday show with Dr Peter Hammond, so let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I'm with you, thank you Andrew. Excellent, and um, the title of today's topic, and I was unaware of this, but there has been some recent elections in Zimbabwe, and when Peter emailed me about Zimbabwe elections earlier and how they were stolen I got back to him and said oh we you know I immediately thought that he was talking about where Mugabe's time when Rhodesia turned into Zimbabwe Christian Rhodesia turned into communist Zimbabwe and so I completely got the wrong end of the stick uh but this is very uh from what I've been told and I know virtually as much as many of you listening outside of the continent of Africa on this topic but what you're going to hear today is eerily reminiscent of what went on in the 2020 elections in the United States. So it's well worth a listen because you can see that that's the overview that Peter has given me. And that gives you an idea of what they could be rolling out in your country in the near future. So on that note, the title of today's show is The Real Story of How the Recent Elections in Zimbabwe Were Stolen. Peter, where would you like to start us off with today's topic? Well, you, we do know that uh, Joseph Stalin once said, he who votes does not count, it's who counts the votes. And uh, certainly his followers have followed the same kind of uh, scenario. So on the 23rd and 24th of August, uh, just last week, uh, elections took place in Zimbabwe. Now, these were national elections, uh, provincial elections, and local municipal elections. So people had three votes. Effectively, they vote for the president, they vote for their legislators, and they vote for their uh, municipal councillors. So uh, these political parties only get together for an election once every five years in Zimbabwe. So whereas in America, they've got a four-year cycle. In Zimbabwe, it's a five-year cycle, like in South Africa. Every five years, they go through this charade. And I'm sorry, that's about the only word you can use for it. But um, it was fraud, failure, and farce. The um, according to the Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation, there were five voting wards in Manikaland, one of the provinces, where nobody managed to vote at all because of what they called logistical difficulties. In other words, ballots didn't arrive. There was no ballot papers and things like that. So 
Uh, there were five wards where nobody got to vote at all. There were 35 wards where the votes were delayed, sometimes for more than a day because the ballot papers didn't arrive in time. And 11 of these wards where there were massive delays were the capital city, Harare, which is the stronghold of the opposition. And uh, they didn't get ballots for the first day of voting at all. Now, according to Zimbabwe law, elections must take place on a single day, within a single day. But uh, here they cheerfully stretched into a second day because the ballot papers didn't arrive until the second day in some cities. And there were overnight queues, people literally standing in the queue for the whole day and the whole night until the next day to vote. That's how eager some people were to vote. Of course, there were lots of accusations of vote rigging. And uh, there was um, Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, which, by the way, is run by the head of military intelligence in Zimbabwe. No conflict of interest. By the way, the woman of the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission who announced the results um, has a baby by Manangagwa, who is the presidential candidate of the ZANU-PF Communist Party. And uh, uh, no conflict of interest there either, I suppose. But uh, the distribution of ballot papers at polling stations was delayed and the government said it was printing delays. So even though they had five years to get prepared, they didn't have the ballot papers ready on the day. 41 poll observers, that's independent observers, were arrested during the election. So they didn't want to have people um, monitoring in the polls that weren't government appointed. So independent poll monitors uh, or observers were arrested. On election day, According to uh, the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, whose head happens to be a girlfriend of the president, but don't worry about that, ZANU-PF, that's the Zimbabwe African National Union Patriotic Front, in other words, the Communist Party of Zimbabwe, they won 136 seats, and the Citizens Coalition for Change, or the CCC, won 73 seats, and ZANU-PF basically won the rural areas and the CCC or the opposition won the cities, mainly Bulawayo and um, Harare. But in fact, all of Madibi land, which is where I grew up in Zimbabwe or when it was Rhodesia, all of Madibi land voted for the opposition. All of Mashona land or the majority Shona population voted for ZANU-PF in the rural areas that is, not in the city though. So Emerson Manangagwa, who was the handpicked successor of Robert Mugabe, who is now 80 years old, he won the election, apparently, officially, according to 52% of the vote, while the Citizens Coalition for Change opposition leader Nelson Chamisa got 44%, which is already pretty impressive in some ways, but um, it was just enough to let the ruling party stay in power. And uh, Action South Africa's President Herman Mashaba says the Zimbabwe election um, was an absolute charade, and it shows how Africa's silent diplomacy has been an abysmal failure and how this has increased the humanitarian burden on South Africa because already there's hundreds of thousands of Zimbabwean refugees living in South Africa, fleeing from the repression and unemployment and economic um, trauma of Zimbabwe and are effective refugees in South Africa. And now there's going to be another flood of hundreds of thousands of more Zimbabweans pouring into South Africa, Botswana, Zambia, Mozambique, Malawi, neighboring countries, having to look after these people who don't feel safe or free in their own country. And that there's no way you can declare this as free and fair. Interestingly enough, 
the South African Development Community or SADC, SADC countries, which is all the neighboring countries of Southern Africa, declared the elections to be um, not free, not fair, widespread voter intimidation, lots of cancellation of opposition rallies. And uh, yet the Commonwealth um, Observer Group said it was free and fair. So we don't know which elections the Commonwealth sent their observers to, but apparently not the same ones that the SADC or Southern African Development Community Observers went to. Uh, so one side says free and fair, the other says not free, not fair. The ruling party of South Africa, the ANC, allowed PF to abuse the Zimbabwe people, said uh, Mashaba, and has led to hundreds of thousands of Zimbabweans crossing our borders to seek jobs, health care and shelter in South Africa, refuge from tyranny and oppression. And uh, so, again, uh, there was this expose of what a disaster Zimbabwe's elections have been, fraud, failure and farce is the way it's been described. According to Mashaba, our foreign policy proposals um, have allowed a humanitarian disaster where South Africa ANC government has favoured a murderous regime instead of demanding accountability for human rights abuses. So, according to the official results, we're meant to believe that the long-suffering people of Zimbabwe voted for ZANU-PF again, which has done nothing but abuse them, uh, beat them, massacre their people, uh, blow up opposition newspapers, blow up opposition radio stations, um, murder opposition candidates, and we meant to believe that the bulk of the people in Zimbabwe voted for Emerson Manangagwa, who is so immensely unpopular on the ground. It's sort of like what people are meant to have believed about the 2020 elections in America, free and fair. And uh, apparently Emerson Manangagwa got 2,46 million votes, or almost 2.5 million votes, 51% of the votes cost, compared to the Citizens for Coalition for Change which got 2,150,000 votes, or 45% of the votes cost. And uh, we are meant to believe that Africa's least successful political party, which has managed to destroy the GDP and make the people poorer in real terms than they were back in the 1970s, that they have been endorsed once again by the majority of their leaders, their citizens. So either Zimbabweans are the most intellectually challenged, economically benighted people on the continent, which I don't believe, having visited there many times and ministered in Zimbabwe regularly, or there's something very suspicious going on here. So just comparing the trajectory with Botswana next door, Botswana, which is a neighboring country, also landlocked, also the product of British colonialism, also dominated by a single party, also very much mineral export dependent, Botswana's GDP has, in real terms, increased from $2,000 per person uh, in 1980 to over $7,000 per person in the same period. So it's more than trebled uh, in in Botswana. But in Zimbabwe, it has decreased. It's gone down to less than half of what it was uh, back in 1980. Uh, real GDP gross domestic product per person. In South Africa, um, in 1994, um, the average was $4,500 per person in South Africa income a year. Now it's about $6,000 per year. So there's been a little bit of an increase in South Africa, but there's been a, a decline to less than half in Zimbabwe. Now, according to Zimbabwean observer missions, the South African Development Corporation's electoral observer mission, which is normally very cautious about making any 
judgments said about the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission that it was well below expected standards, and they talked about the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission's failure to distribute ballots on time, resulting in tremendous delays, sometimes for over a day, the banning of foreign journalists, the banning of um, uh, neutral observers or independent observers from uh, observing the electoral system, that they had a shadowy group called Forever Associates Zimbabwe, which is a ZANU PF associate, which set up survey desks outside the polling stations to intimidate voters and uh, get personal information from them and basically let them know we're watching everything you do. And it's spread throughout Zimbabwe that your vote is not secret and the government will know who voted against them and you will suffer. And at previous elections, people who voted for the opposition had their arms broken or legs broken. Uh, people were murdered. Uh, people were beaten senseless. So there's a tremendous atmosphere of fear and terror totalitarian state where after the last elections in 2018 the police fired on crowds that were protesting the election results and uh, with live rounds and killed not only protesters but civilians caught in the crossfire. If you look at Zimbabwe's electoral history, you can't help but notice something absolutely extraordinary. We don't know what's going on in the actual voting booths because that's meant to be private. But the proportion of people who registered voters is very small compared to the population. So officially, there's 16 million people in Zimbabwe. That's what Google and Wikipedia says. We don't know if there's 16 million people in Zimbabwe, but that's what they claim. And officially, 35% of the total population is registered to vote. Now, in South Africa, 40% of the population are registered to vote. In Namibia, 53% of the population are registered to vote. Those are neighboring countries. But Zimbabwe, we meant to believe that only 35% of the total population are registered to vote, which is highly suspicious. What's also amazing is that the number of registered voters is declining over the years, which is quite bizarre. How does a country uh, with a growing population have a declining number of voters? And the number of registered voters is declining because the number, so this means the number of votes cost actually, interestingly enough, in, increases. Number of registered voters goes down, but the number of votes goes up. And so you might assume, well, maybe this is because these are very contested elections, people are highly motivated to vote. But consider the fact that officially 85% of Zimbabwean voters registered to vote actually voted. Whereas in South Africa and Namibia, it's around 70%, which is pretty high internationally. Now, if you take this, uh, Brazil recently had 79% of its population vote, and that's pretty impressive. In Britain, there were, in a recent election, 67% of registered voters turned out to vote. Well, 85% voter turnout is extremely rare, especially when so many people live in uh, the rural parts of the country. But nevertheless, something strange is happening, and it seems to be the old trick of an incumbent government. They don't update the voters' rolls unless those voters can be relied on to vote their way. And so some voters are dying. This reduces the total voters' roll. But also they inflate the proportion of the votes cost, which is what you're seeing in Zimbabwe. So just by controlling the ballot in this way, ZANU-PF has made it difficult to impossible for people in traditional opposition areas to register as voters. And they make it easy for people to register vote in their traditional areas where they control the people, especially in the rural areas. So really there's subtly a control of 
the vote just by how the government, in this case the communists on UPF, are stealing elections by disenfranchising people in the areas where their opposition is strong and giving extra strength to those areas where uh, they have their traditional base. They also have more seats in the rural areas, which are smaller population, but which are, are traditionally their support base where they can intimidate the people and less seats for the a much heavier populated city so that it's not even the distribution of parliamentary seats according to the population spread at all. And so that's just another way how ZANU-PF steals election uh, by uh, gerrymandering the size of the seats and how many seats are given to places which are in their rural areas of control versus the urban areas of the opposition party. So as one person said, this isn't a poll below expected standards the way that the SADC Observer uh, Commission said. This is an obviously fraudulent poll. This was a stolen election. As the opposition leader said, this is a coup. Emerson Manangagwa came to power through a military coup and he's staying in power through uh, stealing elections by, by elections that are nothing other than fraud, failure and farce. So the opposition has rejected the results and outside observers have raised serious questions about the whole process. But, well, how flawed was the election? So the deck was stacked well before any of the observers arrived. There were draconian new legal restrictions on freedom of expression. The state-run media is completely controlled by the state. Um, the radio, the TV, the newspapers are all owned by the government, which is the one-party state of, of ZANU-PF, the communists. Opposition leaders and activists were harassed, assaulted, arrested on spurious charges and tried by a very compromised judiciary. There was a time that Zimbabwe had an independent judiciary, but even the Supreme Court justice got attacked in their chambers, threatened by mobs, uh, until in the end um, they were replaced by people who were complete party hacks who could be guaranteed to vote the zanu peer for communist line. And the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission is blatantly politicized with its leader being basically the head of military intelligence and the main spokesperson being a mistress of Manangagwa, the presidential candidate for ZANU-PF. And you can see how they have done very kind of dodgy delimitation exercises where they have failed to account for growth in the urban centers, neglected full legal duties in making accurate electronic voters' rolls available to candidates. So the opposition parties never had access to the voters' rolls, and therefore they couldn't compare what was happening to what's officially on the rolls. But we do know that the urban areas which have vast amounts of the people have much less seats allocated, and the rural areas which are very sparsely populated have many more seats, which is why the ZANU-PF can get most of the seats, even though they've got only slightly over 50% of the votes. So there's ways of gerrymandering the actual districts. The election day itself was a shambles. It reminds one of what Vladimir Lenin said, never underestimate the value of constructive chaos. They often use chaos to advance their agenda. And so the chaos isn't due to just lack of organization like what was going on in Arizona. Uh, we noted how they didn't have the ballots uh, in time, they didn't have just about everything in time. Well, that happens in Zimbabwe too. So it seems America's Democrat um, machine knows how to rig elections. Maybe they're learning from their friends in Zimbabwe.
Also, the ruling party intimidated voters at exit poll tables to record citizens' personal details both before they voted and afterwards. And there was disinformation campaigns to discourage people from turning up for the vote, including letting people know that the government knows exactly who's voting and there's no secret vote that we will know what you voted for and so on. And so the integrity of the elections is definitely compromised and people know that the Marxists have put their own people running the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, which is not independent in the slightest, not when military intelligence is running it. And the mistress of Mananggagwa is actually the spokesperson for uh, the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission. So what was also interesting is that election observers were denied entry to the country, local observers were arrested, and independent journalists were banned uh, from going anywhere near the election um, uh, polling stations. So when the ZEC announced that the incumbent President Emerson Manangagwa, who was Mugabe's handpicked number two, that he had been re-elected with roughly 52% of the vote. Nobody was surprised, but the main opposition party, the Citizens Coalition for Change, or the CCC, rejected the result and asserted the country must redo the election. Interestingly, the United States condemned the recent presidential elections in Zimbabwe. Well, I don't know how they can, because it wasn't any different from the ones they just did back in 2020, the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission declared that uh, Emerson Mangogo won a second five-year term, but the State Department has said the ruling party suppressed the opposition and hindered independent observers, which I think could be said about the U.S. themselves, so it's a bit hypocritical. But the, the U.S. State Department said we call on the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission to make the disaggregated polling station results publicly available to increase confidence in the tabulation process. So that was what Matthew Miller for the State Department said on Monday. Interesting that America's holding Zimbabwe to higher standards than they're holding themselves to with the elections in America. And so, interesting, the United States is um, involved in a, a coup attempt in Niger right now, and uh, also attempting to have a proxy war going on in Sudan. They're also supporting a Chad in a transition away from their particular government. So U.S. State Department involved in interfering in elections all over Africa, but they still are able to condemn the elections in Zimbabwe as not free and not fair, which uh, and not transparent, which I think is accurate. Even a stop clock is right twice a day. But the same things could be pointed out about how the Democrats ran the last elections. Now, Zimbabwe has 16 million people, um, and they have only had one political party since 1980, and that's ZANU-PF, the Zimbabwe African National Union Patriotic Front, which was led by Robert Mugabe for many years. He died in 2017, uh, too much rejoicing in the streets in Zimbabwe. Uh, the world's longest reigning dictator. I think he reigned even longer than Castro. The United States in 2022 last year provided $398 million, almost $400 million in aid to Zimbabwe. So while people have the impression that the United States is putting sanctions on Zimbabwe, that's not true. The United States is putting sanctions on a few individuals in the Zimbabwe government, but not in the country itself. And the United States is providing hundreds of millions of dollars to this communist country, which is killing opposition members 
arresting observers and journalists and uh, beating up people in pastorates and and in churches. During the lockdown lunacy, for example, the Zimbabwe army came into churches, rifle butted the pastor in the face in the pulpit, dragged him down the aisle with blood trails down the aisle, kicked the people in the head outside the church because they said they didn't have masks or vaccination certificates. So to show they cared about people's health, they were beating up pastors and church attenders during the lockdown lunacy COVID cult. Well, interesting uh, that uh, the modern state of Zimbabwe traces back to 1980 when the U.S. State Department British Foreign Office forced Rhodesia to have its first so-called free and fair elections where the ZANU-PF terrorists of Robert Mugabe, the Chinese-trained terrorists of ZANU-PF, were intimidating voters, beating up people, blowing up opposition party buses, murdering opposition candidates, killing people, bayoneting people, stabbing, burning people to death in churches. Um, and yet the British governor, Lord Christopher Holmes, who I think was uh, Winston Churchill's son-in-law, uh, the last British governor of, of Rhodesia, um, he, in accordance with Lancaster House, was meant to uh, discount any party engaging in what was called intimidation, in other words, terrorism and murder and things like that, and to, at the very least, discount the votes from the areas where the intimidation took place. Well, if he had done that, he would have had to disqualify Zanu Piaf of Mugabe and to ban them and get rid of a lot of the election results, which he could have done in so many areas where they were intimidating people, murdering opposition candidates, blowing up buses, bayoneting people, and so on. And if he had, if he had adhered to Lancaster House, Christopher Holmes could have discounted most of the votes that Robert Mugabe, Zanu Piaf received, and therefore Mugabe would have lost the 1980 elections. But by failing to adhere to the rules of Lancaster House and allowing violent intimidation terrorism to take place in 1980, what the British and the Americans did was reward Mugabe's terrorism and allowed the communists to seize control over this magnificent country of Rhodesia and to destroy it. And so Mugabe and the other communists in Africa learned a very important lesson. It doesn't matter how many people you murder, it doesn't matter how much you lie, steal and cheat, as long as you win the election, then you will continue to get aid and, and be a member of the United Nations and all the rest of it and get foreign aid from American Britain. So they learned you must always have elections. It doesn't matter how fraudulent they are. It doesn't matter how much terrorism and violence is involved, intimidation, as long as you win the elections. And so they've learned that lesson from 1980, and they've repeated it again and again. Yes, they might murder people. They might destroy the country. They fill their mine shafts with the corpses of people have massacred, like in Madabiland during the Gokurahundi, uh, the great sweeping rain that washed away the filth, as they called it and uh, the massacres of tens of thousands of Madabili Christians in the 1980s by the North Korean-trained 5th Brigade of Robert Mugabe's ZANU-PF. That was fine. As long as they won the elections, they would get respectability from the UN, the Commonwealth, and lots of foreign aid from Britain and America. And so they've continued to do it. And the latest elections are just another in that long line. The Americans and British trained the people in Zimbabwe to understand this, that it doesn't matter if you murder and steal and cheat and break all the laws. As long as you win the election, we will give you foreign aid and so on. And so that's what's going on in Zimbabwe too. Everyone knows that these elections are fraudulent. Everyone knows that there's lies, stealing, cheating, ballot box stacking, um, miscounting, 
absolute fraud, total intimidation, unbalanced, everything. They, yes, they dominate the media. They murder people. But as long as they win the election, they're going to get foreign aid and they'll be called the legitimate government of Zimbabwe. So much so that uh, even though Zimbabwe has the worst human rights record when it comes to blood diamonds, their diamonds can be sold in diamond shops around the world because according to the Kimberley Protocol, uh, the only diamonds that are called blood diamonds are those which involve violence and terrorism by a rebel group. As long as it's the government doing the terrorism, it's fine. So the, the whole definition of a blood diamond is, is that it's violence and terrorism done by a rebel group. So if it's a government recognized by the United Nations, it's not a blood diamond. So even though Zimbabwe has massacred, machine gunned, bombed, um, strafed, chopped off hands and so on of people involved in some of the diamond mining uh, in competition with them, but the Marang diamond fields are mostly run by the presidential guard of uh, Zimbabwe's ZANU-PF, and Red China benefits from it, of course. And because they are a legitimate government, according to the United Nations and uh, the EU, uh, British Commonwealth and so on, uh, it's by definition not a blood diamond because it's from a government, even though they're involved in even worse terrorism than some of the rebel groups that were called blood diamond uh, salesmen up in Sierra Leone and Liberia. So Zimbabwe's learned the lessons from the West. You can lie, steal, and cheat. You can murder. That's fine as long as you win the elections. And I think that's what we're now seeing in America. That's after the U.S. State Department promoting free and fair elections throughout Africa. Now they think they can bring free and fair elections to America too. It doesn't matter how much stealing, cheating, violence, intimidation is done, as long as at the end of the day um, they are able to say, well, we got most of the votes. And interesting, if you look at uh, what... Uh, Chamisa called blatant and gigantic fraud. Now, uh, Chamisa was without a doubt, um, he's the 45-year-old leader of Citizens Coalition of Change, Nelson Chamisa. Um, 45-year-old Nelson Chamisa uh, was pitted against 80-year-old Emerson Manangagwa, the president of uh, ZANU-PF. And uh, even though it was a narrow victory, 51% of the vote as the Observers said it was marred by irregularities, put it nicely. And uh, Chamisa wrote on X, which is what used to be called Twitter, they stole your voice, but they'll never steal your hope. There shall be freedom and justice in Zimbabwe. Now, interestingly, in Zimbabwe, it is not a crime to question the election results. And uh, even though many people, including the leader of the opposition, are saying this vote was one blatant, gigantic fraud and your vote was stolen and this is another coup. Um, interesting, there's more freedom of conscience and freedom of speech in Zimbabwe than there's in the United States of America under Biden's Democratic White House because we see that people in America can get arrested for questioning election results. Fortunately in Africa, while we do have the same kind of fraud in our elections, we don't have such blatant hypocrisy as to attempt to arrest people for questioning, challenging, and rejecting the fraudulent election results of the state. So that's something good you can say about Zimbabwe, I guess. So, yes, foreign journalists were barred from covering the election. The Electoral Commission refused to issue accreditation to election observers. And um, interestingly enough, the um, president dismissed the claims that the election was unfair, saying um, there was no violence at all. And I'm happy to say the race was run peacefully, transparently, fairly, in broad daylight. It shows how mature our democracy is. Well, 
Yes, it's interesting. Nobody seemed to have been murdered during these elections. But in the last elections in 2018, the police did open fire on people of the opposition and, and killed people in the streets and observers too. And there was lots of breaking of arms and legs and necks and murdering people back in previous elections in Zimbabwe, um, like in 2008 and so on. Nevertheless, um, they no longer need to do that much murdering these days. Intimidation is adequate because people are afraid. You go into the streets and ask people in Zimbabwe what they think about the elections. Most people come out with very cautious comments because, well, they're in a totalitarian dictatorship. They don't want to end up getting their necks broken or their arms broken and uh, ending up in a shallow grave or fed to the crocodiles in Zimbabwe River. So plainly, people aren't exactly quick to express what their real opinions are. But nevertheless, there is a lot of public outrage over the obvious frauds in these elections. Well, some of the observations by observers is the results of these elections in Bobby is going to be dire for the whole region because really there's millions of Zimbabweans living in neighboring countries, Botswana, Zambia, South Africa, Mozambique, Malawi, obviously creating unemployment crisis in other countries as well. I meet Zimbabweans all over Cape Town, all over South Africa. There are millions of Zimbabweans outside of the country. One person has estimated that half of the total population of Zimbabwe are, are refugees outside the country, fled. That's how bad it is in Zimbabwe. People voting with the fleet, fleeing the country, saying we can't get jobs there. In Cape Town, it's not unusual to find highly qualified people, Zimbabweans, who might be trained as lawyers, doctors, and so on, are being gardeners or taxi drivers because they can't get a job in Zimbabwe and they can't get a um, um, legal worker's permit to get legitimate jobs in South Africa. So you've got highly qualified university people doing very basic jobs, even being waiters in, in restaurants because uh, that's the only jobs they can get, even though they are very qualified, you know, surgeons and uh, engineers, and they are being waiters or taxi drivers in Cape Town um, because they come from Zimbabwe and they, they're not able to get jobs on uh, that they're qualified for in South Africa because of just discrimination by the government here and not giving them a worker's permit. So, interesting, there's so much repression in Zimbabwe, so much violence, um, massacres uh, such as the long fields of, of Madibiland where they've massacred tens of thousands of people for no other reason being the minority tribe of the Madibili. Interesting, Red China is heavily involved in Zimbabwe. Um, Zimbabwe's got lots of gold, platinum and diamonds. And right now, Zimbabwe's got most of the lithium battery materials that you need to make lithium batteries. And so for green energy, China is using Zimbabwe a lot for uh, the advance because they've got lithium. And intriguing that... Uh, China is dominating the gold and the diamond market, also in platinum markets in Zimbabwe. In fact, diamonds from the Meringue Diamond Fields, which is the, producing a quarter of the world's diamonds, the largest diamond production in the world right now, it goes straight on these uh, Antonov 136s, the largest plane in the world, flying straight from uh, southeastern Zimbabwe to China, one flight, and they they are taking diamonds directly, uncut diamonds, into China from Zimbabwe, not going through customs, not going through the um, 
normal channels or being declared and not paying taxes to the Zimbabwe people or government. But China is able to literally take gold, platinum, diamonds straight out and straight to China. They are raping the country in so many ways. And Chinese has been made a mandatory subject in the University of Zimbabwe in Harare. When the people and the university protested, Mugabe closed the university down for a full year just for protesting Chinese being a compulsory subject at uh, um, the university. So Zimbabwe's got vast lithium reserves, which is playing an important role in the transition to a green economy. And so many um, are looking at this and saying, well, China is using Zimbabwe as a major place for the raw materials they need for their so-called green energy, where China dominates the landscape on the lithium batteries and solar panels and everything else. And yes, it's wrecking the economy in Zimbabwe, it's wrecking the environment in Zimbabwe, it's destroying game reserves, but nevertheless, it's for the purpose of green energy, so-called. And this is bad for the region. The region is original, originally rather fragile, but with millions of Zimbabweans fleeing the country, unemployed, what you're seeing is a situation made even worse by what we call this fraught with unprecedented illegality election. And in fact, the head of the CCC, Chamisa, said the election results were doctored and criminal, fraught with unprecedented illegality. And uh, even international observers have said there were problems with the poll and there was a tremendous atmosphere of intimidation. Interestingly, um, that you can see that they've got a draconian new law called the Patriotic Bill, which gives the death penalty for people guilty of willfully damaging the sovereignty and national interests of Zimbabwe, which is so vague it could enable it to be applied to almost any opponent of the state. And Zimbabweans were hoping for so much, and in fact it was um, put this way, the situation is so sad, it's so repressive. If the opposition calls for mass protest, it would result in loss of life. This places opposition in a really difficult position, because if they stand up and protest, they might get shot down the streets, which was done last time in 2018. And it's not feasible to expect any justice of the Zimbabwean political courts, which are completely politicized now. And so you can see the danger of when you get an intimidated and then later politicized Supreme Court, which is what's happened in Zimbabwe. The previous government allowed mobs to attack the Supreme Court justice, even their homes and their chambers, until the Supreme Court justice either retired or resigned or were replaced by uh, government political party appointees who would toe the party line. So this is where we are in Zimbabwe. And I think people can see the application to the rest of the West as we seem to get more and more totalitarian mentalities in the West. Just think of uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, or of uh, Justin Trudeau, or should we say Castro in Canada, and uh, how they are able to shut down the opposition, even to criminalize opposition and to freeze bank accounts in order to uh, uh, silence the opposition, uh, even silencing opposition parties, silencing opposition um, independent radio or newspaper stations, sort of like Zelensky banning the Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine and locking up ministers, uh, storming churches, um, closing down any media that's not government controlled or any opposition parties. That sort of thing that was done in Ukraine 
we can see attempts to do things like that in New Zealand and Australia and in Canada, and now in America too, where even your political opponents can get arrested and harassed to weaponize the uh, entire security system of the country in order to go after your political opponents, so much so that in Zimbabwe, there's a white man who was assaulted, he was beaten in the main street, the Samora Michel Avenue in, in Harare, and we've got a picture of him with blood streaming over his head. A bottle was smashed right over his head, and there's blood coming down his face in front of the police. And he turned to the police and said, is your job not to protect the citizens of Zimbabwe? And the police responded, no. Our job is to enforce the policies of the government of Zimbabwe. So the police were categoric. We are not here to protect citizens. We're here to enforce the policies of the ruling party. And it seems that that mentality is now coming into the West so that even in Canada, you can see Canadian police and Royal Canadian Mounties, who used to be so respected, allowing themselves to be politicized. And the FBI in America and other police um, allowing themselves to be weaponized to be used by the political leaders of the day against their political enemies. So I think there are lessons to be learned from how the elections were stolen in Zimbabwe recently. And considering that, some, that South Africa and America are both heading to major elections in 2024, I hope we can learn some lessons from this to recognize how the enemy works for the new world disorder and the powers that should not be, so that we can expose their dark dealings. They love the darkness. They hate the light. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, I was thinking, I was hoping that we might have a little bit of time at the end just to sort of... Um, talk about what I thought the show was going to be about but I thought we must have talked about this in the past so I've been going through my archive searching under Rhodesia etc and just three months short of three years ago Peter we did show number 1389 the real story of how elections are rigged and votes are stolen and that's got a date of November the 19th of 2020 if you want to go to Peter's SoundCloud which the link to which is in the post for all our shows Peter's got an online archive so you can find that one there I'll give you the show description we discussed the fraudulent election of Rhodesia into Zimbabwe in 1980, along with Bilderberg founder Lord Carrington's involvement, how the United Nations is one of the leading players in rigging elections, South Africa's fraudulent election of Nelson Mandela in 1994, the United States' manipulation of elections in Nigeria, President Obama's support of the Boko Haram slaughter of Christians, the rampant fraud in the United States' 2020 presidential election, the farce that is the fact-checkers, the Book of Revelation chapter 13's warning of a one-world government and the mark of the beast, George Orwell's 1984, and many other topics. This sounds like a very good show. I might go back and listen to it myself, to be honest. But um, any of those you want to pick, ideally, if you could tell us about the fraudulent election of Rhodesia into Zimbabwe, as that's the show is about Zimbabwe, but you can pick whatever you would like there, Peter. Yes, so in 19, 1979, the British under Lord Carrington, who was later shown to be a KGB asset and agent of influence, um, Lord Carrington, who was a total traitor, but he's also head of NATO at one stage and head of the British Foreign Office, Lord Carrington organized this Lancaster House agreement where he brought all the parties together, Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, and of the Zimbabwe Communist Party, Marxist revolutionary terrorists of Mugabe and Nkomo, 
and they sat together and under Carrington's um, chairmanship agreed on basic principles for a one-man, one-vote election in, in Rhodesia, which then was being called Zimbabwe Rhodesia. And one of the requirements was all military forces, that's the Rhodesian army and police, uh, and the Zimbabwe terrorists were all to be confined to barracks, and only the British police and British army was allowed out in the areas and at the polling stations. And so, according to the Lancaster Agreement, the British governor, who was Christopher Soames, would have to uh, discount any votes, uh, disqualify any votes of any in any area where there was intimidation, and disqualify any party that engaged in intimidation. So, all of ZANU PF soldiers were meant to be in uh, camps that were supervised by the Commonwealth monitoring forces, British Army and so on. And uh, the British police were standing outside the uh, electoral stations to ensure that everything was a free and fair election. Well, the evidence was colossal. ZANU-PF did not come to base. They got a whole bunch of youngsters to go in with a few rusted old weapons. But the the main force of ZANU-PF were out intimidating people and saying we won the war because, well, you don't see the Rhodesian army, do you? Uh, they're confined to barracks. We out here. And they got away with this, and the British didn't know the area as well, and the, the army and police were out of their depth. They were not in a territory that they understood. They didn't know the local languages and so on. And basically, ZANU-PF was intimidating the people, murdering people, um, doing everything they shouldn't do, and the evidence came in overwhelmingly, so that not from the Rhodesians, but even from the British-owned context, that ZANU-PF engaged in massive intim intimidation, including murders and all the rest of it in all these uh, voting areas, and that Lord Soames knew this, and as governor, he was legally obligated to, to disqualify ZANU-PF and to uh, discount the votes in the areas where they had engaged in massive intimidation, which Lord Carrington's uh, handpicked man, Soames, did not do. It was a total coward, and he failed to make a stand. He even admitted later that um, he had uh, he should have done, but he said, you know, elections in Afghan are violent things. He said it's not uh, like uh, puddles in the marsh or something like that. He used some ridiculous terminology to justify why he had violated Britain's solemn word and the legally binding declaration that they had sworn to uphold, and therefore the elections were completely fraudulent. You know, you can't you can't have it that you have one side allowed to cheat and the other side's not, or you know, your hands tied behind your back, but the assailants not. And this election was so completely fraudulent, and it set the trend for all future elections in Zimbabwe that the British government turned a blind eye, deliberately turned a blind eye, to literal mass murder and terrorism, what was nicely called intimidation. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about murdering of, a, of opposition candidates, murdering of people, blowing up of entire buses of opposition supporters, uh, all kinds of hideous things, bayoneting people in the back, uh, shooting people in the face, um, forcing uh, a woman to cook and eat the lips and ears of her husband that had been cut off because he didn't listen to them, and all kinds of terrorism. So these things took place. Bayoneting of babies, you, you can name it. We've got the pictures, got the documentation. And Christopher Soames just, well, you know, this is Africa, and, and just um, we're going to accept it anyway because Mugabe got most of the votes. Yes, but by intimidation and terrorism. And so that's how that election was stolen 
and since then they've kept up the same pattern. And unfortunately, this is how the British Foreign Office and the US State Department operate all throughout Africa. They betray their friends and they appease their enemies. I think it was well said by um, Jonas Savimbi, the head of the UNITA Freedom Fighters in Angola, it is better to be America's friend, America's enemy than America's friend. If you're America's enemy, you will probably be bought. But if you're America's friend, you will certainly be sold. And I was a guest of Jonas Vimby in Angola many a time. And at one time, we um, watched the hideous elections of 1992, the most treacherous elections imaginable. During the United Nations monitored elections in Angola in 1992, the vice president of UNITA, Jeremiah Stratunda, who I met and knew, and other leaders of the UNITA Free, uh, Freedom Party with the, the um, opposition were lured to the capital city of Luanda under UN assurance of safe conduct, only to be shot in the back of the head by the MPLA while the UN peacekeeping security stood by and did nothing. And then 10,000 followers of the UNITA Freedom Fires were massacred in the capital city. 10,000. Now, I don't know, would you call that a free and fair election if something like that happened in America or Britain? Well, I suppose it depends which party it was. But at any rate, um, the UN... Uh, supervised general elections of 1992, they called it, open quote, generally free and fair. Now, 10,000 supporters murdered, the vice president of the opposition party murdered, um, but it's a basically free and fair election, quote, unquote. And that's just one, that's one chapter in my book, Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, the treacherous elections in Angola. Um, and we've seen this again and again in Southwest Africa in 1990, um, under the United Nations um Protection Force, they had an election where the opposition was winning, winning, winning all the way. It was sort of like uh, Trump winning in 2020. And then suddenly there was a power failure across the country. First power failure ever. And when a power failure ended, all the votes that were counted were for Swapa, the communist op uh, uh, opposition who later became the government. And so you had like this phenomenal spike that Biden suddenly got after um, in Pennsylvania and so on, where you suddenly have all the ballots coming in off this point are suddenly all for uh, the one candidate and uh, absolutely impossible logistically. And yet that's what's happened. And so in Namibia, at the end of this power failure, the MDC, uh, I should say, uh, the Turnhill Alliance, uh, the Turnhill Alliance um, was suddenly the no longer the leaders. They were now the opposition. And Swamper, who was opposition, were now suddenly the government. After the elections, they found a full container, a massive 20-foot container filled with ballot boxes that weren't opened yet, hadn't been counted. Well, they'd already had over 100% voter turnout, so, you know, where could these ballots come from? So they just decided to throw them in the incinerator without opening or counting those ballots. That's the kind of fraud that took place in 1990 in the Namibian elections, which brought Swapo, the communist Swapo, to power in Namibia. And we've seen this sort of fraud and failure and fast throughout Africa, and the British and American State Department Foreign Office continually call these free and fair elections. So when the Americans had their trauma in 2020, I wrote to some of my friends in America and said, so how are you liking free and fair elections? The U.S. State Department brought these kind of elections all over Africa. Now you've experienced a free and fair election for yourself in America. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, 
that term that you use generally fair with regard to elections, it reminds me of the term we saw in the mainstream media regarding the Black Lives Matter riots throughout the world a few years ago that were mostly peaceful. And what they tell us about the vaccines, even on the government page in the UK, that they are acceptably safe. So they really like manipulating language, don't they? And we know who the architects of the manipulation of language are, don't we? They're the communists. Yes, no, they're, they're postmasters at it. In fact, what did Vladimir Lenin say? Treaties are like pie crusts, made to be broken. To tell the truth is a petty bourgeois habit, but to lie and to lie convincingly is a sign of superior intelligence. So you're dealing with people who are past masters at lies and deception, and they wage warfare by deception. And so this is the whole thing. How can you make a, a treaty with communists who regard lying as an art form to be perfected? And so the Lancaster Agreement was, of course, only designed to get compliance from the Rhodesians. The communists and Bogwins had no intention of adhering to their side of the agreement. And Christopher Soames never expected the communists to adhere to their side of the agreement. So it was fraud on every level. And, uh, you know, it's basically what's yours is mine. What's mine is mine also. You know, why be unreasonable? Let's do things reasonably. Do it my way. And they continually, they rigged the whole thing. Heads I win, tails you lose. And it's um, it's continually set. So it's like when you go to gambling joints, the house always wins. They've rigged it in such a way that you will lose and they will win. And this is, the communists tend to lose on a battlefield, but they tend to win in a negotiation table because they lie. They don't keep their side of the agreement. And I think you can see this very clearly how it's operating in the United States of America and Canada, we could say as well. Biden and Trudeau are cut from the same cloth. They are basically Marxists in a way of thinking, Leninists even, uh, in that the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter how many laws you break as long as at the end your side wins. So there's no justice, there's no honesty or integrity here. It's whatever it takes to get to the top. Now, fortunately, I think they are um, hurting their own cause right now by trying to politically persecute their main opponents because in Donald Trump, they've got someone who doesn't give up and he's an exhibit A of the um, Norman Vincent Peale principle, the power of positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale was you take lemons and turn them into lemonade. You take stumbling blocks and turn them into stepping stones. You never accept defeat. You know, yeah, the whole principle is a power of positive thinking. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And Norman Vincent Peale had quite a few biblical principles in his power of positive thinking book, and he took it even further. And that was the pastor of uh, Donald Trump. So when you see how Donald Trump um, posed for this mugshot in the in the Georgia Fulton County Jail um, with this look of defiance and resistance and turned it into a positive for his campaign, something that was meant to disgrace him and undermine his efforts for the presidency. He's now turning uh, on its head. This is something I don't think the left understand, that sometimes their opposition only strengthens the resistance. And the double standards, it, it may seem to work for them for a while, but right now so many people have seen the lies, the hypocrisy, the double standards, and uh, what they call free and fair elections and, and what they call safe and effective vaccines and what uh, they call um, real news and uh, all the news that's fit to print without fear or favor. Well, nobody believes the big pharma, big media, um, big tech anymore, and we don't believe the 
government elections are reasonable or fair in it either. The whole thing is a fraud and it's a one big lie. And we need to resist and stand up and say, no, we won't take this anymore. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the pillar of the state is the lie. And even if we can't fight it, the least we can do is stop believing it, stop repeating it, stop applauding it. And the lie will die and the states will collapse if we stop believing, repeating and applauding the lie. And I think that's so important. We must stop pretending that these elections are free and fair. And those people in America who are being prosecuted for questioning the election results of 2020, well, truth does not fear investigation. If these elections were free and fair, then uh, why would you mind people challenging it? I don't mind somebody coming to me saying, where's the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm very happy to go through the evidence. Where's the evidence for creation? Where's the evidence for uh, life beginning at conception and that babies are are, um, already alive from point of conception? I've got no problem going through when the heart beats and the brainwave and look at the biological evidence because truth doesn't fear investigation. When somebody gets hysterical because you question the election results, they've got something to hide. I was at a meeting just last week, and I made a comment that we need to pray for the Zimbabweans as they're heading in for elections, that they don't get the same kind of free and fair elections that the Americans just had in 2020. And I had an American man and his wife storm out the room, slamming the glass doors so much that we thought all the window panes would break, um, absolutely furious because I had insulted his country. And, uh, well, why would he get so upset if... It wasn't true. You know, who gets upset if you say the world's flat or something like that? So uh, we really have a real issue here with people who won't let you debate or discuss evidence for something. And they've got to bring out laws preventing you from questioning something. They've got something to hide. And it's not the truth. Back to you, Andrew. Excellent. Excellent points, Peter. And uh, we're on a similar wavelength here because what we were talking about, I thought of this uh, from the Bible. I just want you to think, uh, ladies and gentlemen, before I read it, you'll be familiar with it. What they're doing today, all the things that they're telling us, all the justification, all the but this, but that, uh, the, the examples Peter gave. And it's best told, it always reminds me of this from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 16 to 20. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So don't look at what, listen to what they say. Look at what they do. Look at who they condemn. Look at who they praise. Look at lifestyles they promote. Look at lifestyles they condemn. It says as well in the Bible, towards the end, I believe in the book of Revelation, that in the end times, everything considered good will be bad and everything considered bad will be good. And we could, spend several shows giving examples of what western governments throughout the world tell us is good that the bible condemns and what they tell us is bad that the bible promotes peter any comments on that then please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you 
Yes, thank you. That's so important. By their fruit, you will know them, and we can see the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the flesh, will, immorality, and vileness, and hatred, and dissension, and you can just see the fruit of the flesh in so much of what these people are, are promoting, and we can see it in Zimbabwe so clearly. And uh, I think what was done to a great Christian country in Rhodesia, a stable country that was exporting food, which had virtually no unemployment, which had the lowest crime rate in the whole continent of Africa, highest literacy rate, high education stands, and where Rhodesian dollar was stronger than the British pound and stronger than the American dollar. And then they turned to a country that's a basket case that can't even feed its own people, where more than half the population flee, where a $100 trillion note can't even buy a loaf of bread. Well, what a wreck. But as Ian Smith said, we were never beaten by our enemies. We were betrayed by our friends. Rhodesia was a God-honoring, stable example of excellence in Africa. And the British Foreign Office and the U.S. State Department united with the Commonwealth and the U.N. to destroy this great Christian country and handed over to these Marxist mass murderers who are still carrying on these charades of so-called free and fair elections and bludgeoning their poor people in submission while allowing the country to be raped by Red China. This is what the New World Disorder wants, and it was my privilege to grow up in Rhodesia and to experience this paradise uh, when the country was a basket, uh, was a breadbasket of Africa, and where we lived in such peace and freedom, uh, even during the middle of a war, compared to how it is now. And yes, we need to know the truth, we need to um, understand the times, and we must stop being deceived. The Bible continually warns us not to be deceived. So if people are interested in learning more about our mission, Frontline Fellowship, and what we're doing to help the people in Zimbabwe, we're still going in and helping, taking boxes of love to pensioners and prisoners and helping pastors throughout Zimbabwe who are suffering. You can contact me at peter at frontline.org.za, P-E-T-E-R at F-R-O-N-T-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G.za. Peter at frontline.org.za is my personal email and our website is www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontline Mission SA, short for SouthAfrica.org. You can also get our books, such as Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ and Slavery, Terrorism, Islam, The Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat, from our Frontline Mission NA.org. That's North America, uh, NA for North America. They have many of our books available in Florida, which makes it cheaper and more efficient to get it to people in um, Europe and America then going through South Africa. So um, Frontline Mission SA.org or Frontline Mission NA North America.org. And uh, you can also find us on Facebook as well. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, folks, as you know, this show now um, consists of Peter, myself and Maleficus. And obviously um, we haven't closed the door on other people, but this is the regular uh, line up and we may well have other people on filling in for Peter or Maleficus or joining Peter or Maleficus we're just doing what we're doing at the moment we appreciate all the people that we've worked with in the past but the reason I mention that is that I only I don't take donations anymore I have a job that I do that you're aware of Maleficus is in a similar, similar situation so if you want to support the ACH show I know I can speak for Maleficus as well when I say please direct your funds to Frontline Fellowship and a good way of doing that is this new bookstore, uh, the North American Bookstore. And what you will find in the post for this show is directly below 
the button you click to listen to it is a link to direct link to the Frontline North America bookstore. And the last two, three weeks on the traditional Christian message, I've been talking about the situations in which Peter was arrested and imprisoned during his missionary work in Africa and uh, very, very troubling times. Um, and that is all featured in his book, Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, which is an amazing book. Slavery, Terrorism and Islam is another amazing book. Um, what's the book about protecting your yourself that talks about Switzerland and things like that, Peter? Yes, that... Security and Survival Handbook. Security and Survival yeah. Handbook. That's how to protect your churches, your homes, um, countries, communities, uh, because... You know, it's got case studies of home invasions of the St. James Massacre, uh, Switzerland during the World Wars, many different practicals. But how do survive in our societies? Everything from when captured and imprisoned. I've, I've had all that. So I'll put it all in that book, Security and Survival Handbook. Yeah. I mean, those are the three ones. I know there's going to be others I'm going to think, oh, I should have mentioned them, maybe in a future weeks. But they're the three that immediately jump out to me. If I was uh, in your position and you wanted to get some books of Peter's I would get those initially um, and that being said let's uh, close out the show so I want to thank Peter so much for joining us today on our Friday show entitled the real story of how the recent elections in Zimbabwe were stolen Peter and I'll be back with you at the same time next week in the meantime I want to thank all of you for listening I hope you have a wonderful day and bye for now